Have you failed at anything? We all have, but what are you doing about it? Today, I interview the Fail Coach. Welcome to Blair Radio, where every brand can be heard. Now, the voice behind the mic, James Shannon. Welcome to episode 30. Today, we have a fascinating story from a guest from Sylvania. He had millions at one point in his life, and then he lost it all. Listen to the pain that he felt after receiving a phone call from his bank with the devastating news that he had nothing. This is an incredible story of overcoming the loss of everything to regaining his freedom of choice. Not only does he talk about his failures, he's also going to talk about building trust and how trust is important in every business. I'm telling y'all, this is going to be a good one. So listen up and here we go. All right, everybody. Today we have someone that has experienced failure. It was so bad that he felt like ending everything, including his life. I'm happy to welcome from Sylvania, the fellow coach himself, Miha Batli-Eski. Thanks for agreeing to talk with me today. Hey, James. It's a pleasure to be here, to be your guest. The pleasure is mine. First of all, did I say your last name right? Yeah, you got my last name quite okay. All right. Great. great. Well, one question I did want to ask before I get into your story. When you were a little boy, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Well, you know, the usual pilot, astronaut. Uh, But then a little bit later, at the end of the elementary school, I really wanted to become a chef. Hmm. I love food. Yeah, I'm I'm super passionate still about cooking and all of that. But I think I made the right decision because I've talked with a lot of chefs in in the last few years. And, you know, that's like a 24-7 job if you want to run it the right way. So. I, I love to enjoy a more healthier life balance. I don't think that would be for me. Right, right. I know once you got to high school, you end up you dropped out of school, right? Yes, yes. Um, when I was 17, I dropped out of high school just because I didn't like the whole system. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like, what will history do for my future life? You know, like, why do we need to learn that? So, yeah, just like a rebel without a cause. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then you eventually, you you had millions. And then I want to talk about what happened in 2009 and the pain you felt from losing the millions that you had. And tell me about the phone call that, that you got from the bank and, what created your pain? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it, it took me a few years, I mean, oh, like a decade to, to get to that point. So it, it wasn't like overnight. Uh, but yeah, I had quite a few successful businesses doing seven, eight figures a year. Well, one of those businesses was in real estate. I was an investor in a big real estate project. And we were in the middle of the whole thing when the recession came and the bank called me December 7th, Monday morning, December 7th, 2009. They made calculations. The prices dropped so significantly that I would make a huge minus. And they said, we'll just exit now. And I mean, this is something that It's not so familiar in the U.S. and the Canada. You guys don't have that 
financial instrument. But here in Europe, when you take big loans like that, first of all, you need collateral. So all my other businesses and me personally, we had to co-sign. But then there's this thing where you pre-approve that the bank can just take your assets and freeze your bank accounts and all of that uh, without them having to go through the court. So at wow. the signing of the loan agreement, you already pre-approve. If something happens in the future, they just skip the whole process. And so during that day, Monday, uh, they exercise that option. They they actually bank got most of the money back, but the thing that happened was I had other businesses as well. All of those were frozen and I wasn't able to pay paychecks. I wasn't able to pay suppliers, taxes, all of that. And because I was co-signing a lot myself, well, you know, back then I had no clue what asset protection is and what that does mean and how to do that. So a lot of the remaining debt fell on me personally, about five million US dollars. And again, um, the difference in the laws in, in, in Europe. So you're not permitted to do personal bankruptcy after a business bankruptcy, at least. I mean, it, it was like that uh, back in 2009. I think they changed the laws a little bit in the recent years. But so I, I had no option to do personal bankruptcy and to you know, get rid of that debt and, and start clean. So yeah, that's what happened. And uh, at first I didn't really, well, not that I didn't realize, but I didn't take it as such a huge thing, thinking like, you know, I can turn this around. I can, you know, call a few people, make a few agreements. I'll make it. I'm, and, you know, but the whole recession influenced everything. So in a few weeks' time, I would figure out that I can't solve it. That, that's when it really hit me in where I am. And during those few weeks, phone calls from you know, past employees, past suppliers, they went from, hey, you know, um, if you don't pay us, we'll sue you, to we will do strange things to you. And I mean, now looking back, of course, they wouldn't kill me or stuff like that. But back then, you know, I was younger. I was highly emotional because of everything. And so I really believed that. And, and um, every morning when the phone call started, I would just go into depression, anxiety, stress, darkness, like just the whole thing altogether. And so I wasn't able to do much. I was just closing myself from the world. I got divorced. I fought my friends uh, from the lavish lifestyle before are my true friends. And I've learned that they didn't pick up the phone when I called them after they learned what happened to me. So uh, it was basically me and my mom and in, in the whole wide world and all that pressure and all together and you know the darkness is is bigger and bigger your head is about to explode from overthinking anxiety all of that so little by little the idea of committing suicide felt 
more and more appealing. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was a fighter, but I, I lost what to fight for because of all that darkness. You know, I didn't saw any ray of any light on, I didn't saw the tunnel. That that kind of, you know, gets you. And, and you know, the longer it lasts, the more you start thinking, and you know, um, this is it for the rest of my life. This will be my life going forward, struggle, problems, phone calls. And you start believing that, and then you start asking yourself, like, why would you go and move forward? And really the idea why the suicide started to become so appealing wasn't really so much to escape the debtors, the creditors. Uh, it, it was really just to have some peace in my head because I wasn't able to silence that nuclear reactor. And, and all I wanted was just you know, a week of peace and quiet. And so the idea was, you know, you jump and it might hurt for a second or so, and then it's over. Silence, that silence. And I was so much craving that silence. Interesting, because when I heard that was something that you had considered, I felt that well, I thought it was because of the phone calls and the death threats and everything that, that you was going through. But you just wanted some peace. That's that's interesting. And I so mean, all those things were creating that nuclear reaction in the head. You know, but 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 then that was so pressuring. So you went to a balcony, and that's when you were considering jumping, right? So what what were you thinking? What made you change your mind? Honestly, it's still a little bit blurry. Why? I mean, I know why. I got a notice that my apartment will be taken away from me in a few days, and so I was on the balcony. I remember I was smoking a cigarette, but then I I don't know how I went from sitting at that uh, balcony table and climbing on the other side of the fence. And it, that was like at 11 p.m., you know, it was complete darkness already. But and, and then I remember like it was yesterday, I was holding myself with my left hand to the fence and I was already, I don't know how to say it properly, like inclined over the edge, you know, like 45 degrees-ish. And I was looking down, and I remember thinking, will I do this right? Or will I just end up on a wheelchair? Because that will not you know, stop everything that's happening in the head. Because you know, if, if your apartment is on the 20th floor, you jump, you know, no brainer, you die. Uh, but I was on the fifth floor, and you know, things can happen on the fifth right. floor. Um, and, and at that moment, the best way I know how to explain it is it, it's almost like I split into two Mijas and this one Mija is yelling at the other Mija. And I was actually yelling out loud. I mean, the neighbors heard me. I was using a lot of very juicy words. I'm not going to repeat that here on your podcast. But Thank it you. was, you know, a, a, along the lines of, you know, you made this mistake. You, you, you shouldn't have done this. It was all you, 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 you. And, and uh, well, two things that I need to add here is so, you know, how I went out of high school. It was, you know, I had such support at home, too much support. So never, never ever anybody held me accountable for anything at home. And so I had like a super perfect childhood, which really didn't prepare me for the life. 
And the second thing was that it was so easy to blame, you know, things outside of you. I mean, if you look at Corona right now, I mean, it's so easy to say, you know, like, look at Corona. Nobody expected this. The banks are not doing enough. The governments are not doing enough. It's so easy to find blame outside of you. And that's what I was doing. And this was really the first time ever where I took responsibility for my stupidity, my wrong actions, my bad decisions. And, and that led to the aha moment, which was, oh, if I was able to make so many mistakes and bad choices, and I was still able to accomplish what I accomplished, if I change, if I, if I make better choices, I can do it again and I can do it better. That was kind of like the aha moment. And then I climbed back in. I kind of like saw that little ray of light, made a huge list of everything I need to learn and change and so on. And then I really need to emphasize this. Many people think, you know, oh, you had the aha moment, you climbed back in, and now it was, you know, like upwards. But it wasn't. It was like a three and a half years of this struggle and fight with the inner demons, with old Micha, new Micha, old habits, new habits. Um, you want to give up, you don't give up, and, and, and so on. And in the beginning, I was super focused on just the business development because, you know, I believe that only through business, I can repay the debt. That, that was my, like, the only why I had at that time was to just get out of that debt. But the, the thing was that things don't work that way. And, and thankfully, in the middle of that journey, three and a half years journey, I decided to adopt a dog, Happy. And it wasn't, you know, at that time, it wasn't because of my love for animals. Like, I, I fancied a girl and, and she was like this, oh, you know, shelters and this and that. So I thought if I adopt a dog from there, I still come visit often. <laughs> uh, but it turned out that, you know, that dog, I mean, he, he, he really is my angel. Uh, and I, I don't think I would make it without him. Uh, you know, I had to go out with him, take him for a walk. I had to socialize more with people. But also, I, I fell in love with that bundle of joy. And at that time, I didn't have much love for myself. And I was burning myself out. I was, you know, just focused on the business, not taking care of anything else. And I realized that, you know, if like he was a mix. In those mixes, they live forever, you know? And I remember one day I was like, oh my God, like, what if something happens to me? What will happen with Happy? And it was actually because of him, I started doing more on my personal development, on me personally. And the more I did, the more I started loving myself and so on. And it was only when I did enough work on myself, suddenly things started clicking in the business. Before that, it was like I would take this idea to 70% and then something went wrong. I would take this venture to 90 and then something went wrong. It was like, almost like, you know, did somebody put a voodoo spell on me? The change always happens from the inside of you. And you as the entrepreneur, you are that first pillar. And that's where the work starts. I, I started a startup, energy efficiency startup, 
We were helping big corporations save how much electricity and gas they use. We had a very unique way of doing that. I was able to take all the lessons and everything and really prove to myself that I've learned the lessons. I was able to scale that business to multiple eight figures first year, multiple nine next year. And then I had a, well, it was a bit of a technology takeover from a competitor, but from a Fortune 100 company. Yes, my share by that time was very much diluted, so I didn't become a billionaire, uh, but it was more than enough to repay almost 7 million of past debts with all the interest and everything, and enough for me to have the freedom of choice. You know, when you have money and time, you have the freedom to do whatever you choose to do, not what you have to do. And so logically, I went on a long vacation. What else do you do? Um, and, and, and after three days in, in Lisbon, Portugal, of partying nonstop, uh, you know, listening to Fado music, drinking red wine and, and whatnot, I got so freaking bored. And I had like two and a half weeks left in Lisbon. Like, what, what do I do here now? And I took out my phone and uh, I checked if there were some meetups and there were. And then every single day I would go to at least two meetups. And, you know, you're a foreigner. You come to a meetup. Everybody wants to get to know you, who you are, what's your story. And the more I was sharing my story, more entrepreneurs were asking me to help them. And the more I was helping them, the more I felt like a billionaire on the inside. And I realized, like, how much million times better it feels when you do something for others, when you help others, when you give, than when you just, you know, do yes. something for yourself. And so, yeah, I kind of fell into the whole coaching, mentoring, uh, and all of that. And uh, when I was thinking, I mean, it was actually me and a friend, we were having a few beers, you know, Okay, I need to, if I want to do this seriously, I need to register a company, get a website. So how do I name this? And it was actually he who said, like, you are the fail coach. You know, you talk about failure so much, all the lessons, the relationship that you need to have with failure, how every entrepreneur will fail so much along the journey to achieve those successes that make up and, and even more than that for all the failures. And so, yeah, that's how the Fair Coach was born. And I'm loving my life. I have now an amazing team behind me who does all the things that I would not love to do, that I would have to do, but I don't have to do them. So I can really just do the things that I love. And I can't imagine a day that I don't speak to at least one entrepreneur or do one podcast or something. I, I really, I, you know, if I would have to go for a whole weekend to a local pub and talk about the weather and the politics, like kill me. Yeah. It's the giving, the, the feeling you get when you help somebody, even if it's just one person, whenever I get one email from somebody saying, Oh, I love that tip. Oh, I love this episode. That's the reason why I keep doing what I, what I do. And I thank you, Miha, for sharing your story because that is powerful. I'm glad that you were yelling at yourself and cussing yourself out and were able to get to where you are now. And you built a, a community around being a fellow coach, right? 
Yes, no, not just around being a fail coach. So, like, fail coach is really just a tool, the way I see it. Okay. I know I can give a lot to fellow entrepreneurs through the knowledge, through the past experience. It's something that I love doing, and they, you know, they, they are happy when they receive that. So I see that as a win-win combination. Uh, but the, the whole purpose of, of fail coach is really to scale it to billions because I have two nonprofits that I want to fund on my uh, on my own. I don't want to depend on anybody's you know charity donations or governments or whoever. Um, so I'm I'm no longer even an, an owner of Fail Coach. It's owned by a trust, and that trust is now establishing two nonprofits. Oh. And one is Failures Anonymous, which will be AA type of thing. We did a few test runs here locally. And it was magical, not just amazing, but magical, truly magical. The breakthroughs, the aha moments, the crying, the laughter, all of that. And so it's kind of like AA type of thing, small groups of people throughout the world talking, sharing about failure, because it's one of the biggest taboo in the, in, in, in the world. It's number one cause for suicide among entrepreneurs when failure happens. And it's the number one reason why so many dreams are not even started because of fear of failure. Um, so it's a huge taboo, a very huge taboo. No matter how much we are saying, oh, we are okay with failure. But one thing is to say it. One thing is when you say it for other people. But I can tell you as a failure coach, I've worked with a lot of people who are very, very famous in this world who look like they have everything under control. They, they talk about failure in a way where, you know, they get it, they understand it, they have healthy relationship with, but uh, it wasn't so before we started working together when it was failure connected with something about them. It's easy to preach, but when it happens to you, it's a whole different story. So that one is the failures anonymous. And the second one is is for the animals. I mean, I moved to almost three years ago, I moved to Eastern Europe, to Serbia, because they have huge problems with, and I adopted one of my dogs later on. Now I have four dogs here from Serbia. And so I moved here and, you know, um, you'll see me a lot of times running around the streets with, with some salami chasing dogs, trying to catch them, then take them to the vet take care of them and then we are finding them new forever homes and so that's the, that's the second non-profit because there's just so much that needs to be done in asia in africa in south america in eastern europe when it comes to animals stray animals and so on especially in the education and, and how people view animals that's awesome uh happy why did you name him happy is it was it is it related to that that was his name when oh. when from the shelter and uh i mean that girl she showed me a picture and i didn't know the name or anything i just like really fell in love with his eyes he had the, those mesmerizing eyes and i just said oh i'm gonna adopt him and she was so happy and then you know she helped me organize everything and so on but then later after a few days she uh, you know, she didn't visit us every day, but yeah, I, I just fell in love with him. Like he's this special, 
you know, I mean, now I have four dogs. I've rescued so many dogs, but there's just something special about him. It's, it's, it's everybody who, who sees him in person, they, they all say like, you know, he has these deep, crazy eyes, like this crazy color, not common in dogs at all, but so deep. And, and, and the way, the way he is, you know, how he approaches you and, I don't know, there's just something healing about him. I, I don't know how to explain, but I mean, it's not just because it's, he's my dog. I mean, I get this from even when we go for a walk and people just meet him on the street for the first time. And after two, three minutes, they, they're saying things like that. There's just something magical about him. He really is my, my guardian angel. That's amazing. You were saying that you had got a divorce, all your friends, they weren't returning your calls. And all you had was your mom. So I'm glad that you um, had happy and that you're yes. happy now. So that's that's awesome. That's that's really good. Miha. I do want to talk a little more about fire, because to me, I think fire, it could be a good thing, you know, and. No, absolutely. Uh, don't get me. I mean, you know, a lot of people ask me Miha, now that you're the fail coach, do you help people not fail? But that would be wrong. Uh, I don't help them that I help them to to put up a framework, A, to recognize failures sooner. So foundations, you know, like processes, measuring, benchmarking, KPIs. If you have those things in place, you can recognize failures sooner. And then emotional intelligence, because, you know, when you're looking at those numbers, you must not be emotional. You have to be logical. But often we get emotional when we look at those numbers and we kind of like try not to, you know, especially when they're not saying what we would like them to say, we get all emotional instead of, oh, okay, this is not working. Let's figure out what we can try. So to put a framework in place where they can spot failure sooner and on the other hand, how to have that right emotional balance attitude relationship with failure because failing is is I, I i think it's the most important part in business because nobody I, I don't know a single person and i know a lot of amazing coaches and mentors and so on but nobody can really give you a recipe a, a, a bulletproof recipe if you come and say oh i don't know i want to do this ads campaign you always have to test and try a few different things figure out what's working, what's not, eliminate what's not, increase what works. That's, that's the way you do business. Now, some people call that failure. Some people say, you know, testing and trying. Some people say, I don't know, mishaps uh, along the road, uh, bumps along the road. So it, it really doesn't matter what vocabulary is. The important thing is how you react to that. And the right relationship is a logical relationship. Because if you look at failure, there's only three things that can go wrong. A, when you set a goal or a target or a dream or whatever, you're not using smart goal setting. You know, you know if I say I want to move Mount, Mount Everest to, to, you know, to Mexico, well, that ain't going to happen no matter how much I believe and trust and, and, and call the powers of law of attraction and so on. It just ain't going to happen. I can right. build a new one probably, but I can't move this one. 
So smart goal setting is very, very important. So that's usually number one problem because we are often emotional, either positively or negatively when we are setting certain goals. And then we completely don't set anything close to realistic. I mean, I'm all for realistic and then add 15, 20, 25 percent to push yourself. But you can't go, you know, 7,000% over what's realistic if you don't have the resources. Because then the next thing is your action steps. So your process needs to be aligned with that goal. So again, if I say I want to lose 200 pounds in 30 days, I don't think there is a process that can help you do that. Uh, no. That would be uh, you not killing yourself uh, in the process. So then we are at the process and in process we we either have wrong steps or bottlenecks and so we all all we have to do is be logical um go back to the process reverse engineer the process look at the numbers look at what kpis and benchmarking is saying to you and then you know either figure out better steps or eliminate the bottlenecks if you don't know how to do it yourself you go and ask experts. You, you can hire somebody. You can get a coach, a mentor. You can hire an agency, a freelancer, an expert. Or you can educate yourself. You can ask Google, YouTube. I mean, there's plenty. I mean, we live in this infobesity age where there's too much information out there. So it's really not hard to find things when you know what you're looking for. But, you know, you first need to figure out what you're looking for. So um, you need to pinpoint where something is off. And, you know, sometimes you can do that by yourself, especially if you have a lot of experience, past experience. That's a very important leverage. But, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Let, I, let's say, James, you, I don't know your entrepreneurial journey, but let's say you never were making eight-figure revenue per year. Okay. So now you might be at seven figures. Let's say you're making a million and you want to go to 10 millions in a year, which is doable, provided that you have the right resources and, and, and a few other things. But, you know, how can you set up new foundations if you've never been to eight figures before? Well, you need to ask somebody who was there. Because the thing is, building a business is really same as building a house first you make a plan and then you start with the foundations and then you build up and let's say you know let's say that one million uh, a year business is a family house and now suddenly after a few years you know you james you say well you know what let's build up you know let's make a skyscraper out of this house well you know, you can't do that on that same foundation for family house. Am I right? You'll have right. to first go and, and increase the foundation, make them stronger, make them, I don't know, proof for earthquakes and so on before you can start building up. And the same goes for your business. So to go back, how can you lay down solid foundations for an eight-figure business if you've never been there? It's just impossible. You don't know what you don't know. Now, of course, you can go and you can study a lot, but that can take you a year of studying, trying, 
errors, correcting. And I'm not saying that that's a bad way of doing things because you will learn so much, you will gain so much experience. But most people, they don't want to invest that learning period. They want to speed up the process. Well, the only way is that you go to the source of somebody who has that experience and who can help you get there. Yeah, if I want to turn my house into a skyscraper or build a skyscraper, but I've never built one before, but you have, wouldn't it be easier just to ask you how to build a skyscraper? Or uh, yeah, because if I go online and do research, I don't know if I'm reading from getting bad information. I don't know if it's a reliable source. So I I rather go to somebody that somebody that's proven and they've built a skyscraper and and it works. James, when we are faced with a dish that we haven't cooked before, we will call our mom or grandma or a friend. We'll go online. We'll do research. Uh, but then when it, you know, for a simple thing, like making a new dish that we haven't made before. But then when it comes to building a business, I don't know why so many people think that they have to do it by themselves. I mean, I don't know where that's coming from, but you know, so many people are, are, are trying the most hard way. And if you don't have a huge, huge, huge why, you'll give up. Because you have to be mentally so freaking strong. But then there are such easy ways. I mean, and they don't have to even cost that much. They, they can be even free. All you have to do is, you know, like maybe join a good mastermind. It, it might be something that's, I don't know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month for you to be surrounded. I know that for startups, there is this, what's the website? 10X Accelerator. It's not, it's not the 10X from, from Grant, uh, Uncle G, but, but it's, it's a Slack channel, I think, where you have like hundreds of startup owners who are doing zero, six, seven, eight, nine figures. And you can ask a whole bunch of questions in there. And I think it costs like a hundred and hundred and fifty bucks per month. And, and you know, like, is, is that even an investment? Are you talking about 10x something? 10xaccelerator.com or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I recommended this to, uh, because I've heard good things. So I recommended it to quite a few uh, startup founders. It's specifically more, it's, it's more or less for startups. I think more for tech startups. I'm, I'm not really sure, but 10X Accelerator or something like that. But that was just an example. Right. Okay. There's plenty of, of good stuff out there. And of course, you know, if, if you just go to the free stuff, well, you know, nobody will just give you everything for free. So, yeah, and I think, like you said earlier, I think some people they they don't want the help because they they're not thinking logically. They're just thinking with emotions. And I mean, yes. yeah, I, I don't know. Like you said, people they they never want to get the help. They want to do everything themselves. And that I agree. That's the that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing for me is you have business owners. On one hand, they would love to have things handed to them for free. But then when they do stuff, they want to charge for that. Kind of doesn't make sense, huh? 
I say that all the time. If you are not willing to invest in your own business, if you don't want to put money, your own money in your business, why should I? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that just irks me. It's like a pet peeve of mine. Like, I mean, and, and honestly, I, I've done a lot of free stuff in the past, free money-wise, but I don't do it for free. You know, so like I had this one guy, he said, I have zero money, no nothing. I said, okay, do you have time? Yes, I have plenty of time. I said, cool, I'll make an arrangement at the local shelter. You go walk dogs every day for an hour. At the end of the week, we'll have our coaching session. I just want you to be invested. I don't care if it's money. I don't need your money. I want you to be invested. Because when I look at my clients, you know, when I started certain programs, people get beta price and stuff like that in the past. Obvious thing, the more they pay with the same information, they do way, way more. Yep. Same information. I heard somewhere that when people give out like a course for free, the completion rate is so low compared to the ones that, that pay for the course. I think it's close to zero. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, you just, you're not invested. And when you're not invested, and, and again, I'm, I'm very open to finding, I, I've had, you know, people um, invest in other ways. I'm always happy to help, always. And I don't need the money, uh, but they need to show me up front. So they need to pay up front that they're invested. So no, like, oh, you teach me for a month and then I'll do something. No, no, no. First, do your thing. And then you'll get all the coaching that you deserve for the price you paid. So in the, you mentioned that you don't need uh, the money. Are you afraid of failure anymore? or A failure? No. Uh, I mean, like I said, failure is an amazing thing. Like, let, let's look at this logically. So what's one thing that's super common with us entrepreneurs? We have these crazy big goals and dreams. Am I right? Right. We want to change the world, make an impact, go to Mars and, and, and a whole bunch of other things. So you can't achieve that if you stay in the comfort zone. You know, nothing magical ever happened in the comfort zone. So... When you're outside of the comfort zone and, and the bigger your dreams, the more and, and, and you know, even further out you have to be, what does that mean? That means that you're doing things for the first time. Because once you do something 10 times, 20 times, it's your new comfort zone, just you know, logically. So when I'm doing something for the first time, it's not 50-50 chance. It's the, actually the chance of me failing on my first try is bigger than succeeding. So if I am not failing, I'm, I'm super scared. That means that I'm slacking off because, you know, I, I can't achieve those two nonprofits without really being out of the comfort zone. It's not like I want to open, you know, an ice cream shop in, in here locally, like, you know, I want to set up Failures Anonymous worldwide. That's not something easily achieved. And no. who knows if I'm going to achieve that, you know, in, in this lifetime. Um, 
but I sure ain't gonna stop. You know, I'll I'll die first before I stop working on my dreams. But you know, nobody knows. But the thing is, if I want to achieve that, I have to be out of the comfort zone every freaking day. So every freaking day, I'm doing completely new stuff that I've never done before. And of course, I'm failing a lot. So if I'm not failing for a few days, that's a very bad sign. And I'm really worried. But I do have the foundation and the framework. So I have healthy relationship with failure. And I have a framework, a system in place so that we can recognize failure uh, very quickly. We can react very quickly. Awesome. Can you tell me what is like one piece of advice that you can offer for people that feel like failure or they're afraid of failure or just any advice you can give them? The one I find is the easiest to get some aha moments is when you're not emotional. So when you're logical, walk through the steps that led to whatever you consider failure. And if you can't do that by yourself, find somebody, somebody, even maybe some entrepreneurial friend, I mean, somebody with some experience in business, if it was a business failure, if it was a relationship failure, then you need somebody else. But find somebody who can walk you through, who, who, who will help you reverse engineer your steps. Every single time when I do that with people who have huge emotional reactions with failure, we come to the point where they see that you know there was either a wrong step, something was missing, a bottleneck, that was a really big bottleneck. It's always something logical. Because often, you know, it's like, oh, I'm such a good person. Why is this happening to me? The God doesn't want me to, you know, succeed and so on. That's not true. Just focus on the process. Revisit the process. If you don't know things, if let's say, I don't know, there might be a chance that something's not working in your marketing area. Go find somebody with marketing experience in that particular industry, niche, and so on. The three you mentioned earlier was smart goal setting, action steps, and process, right? No, I mean, smart goal setting, wrong steps, or bottlenecks. Those are the three reasons why we don't achieve the goals. Smart goal setting technique, super simple. Just go to Google. Type in uh, smart goal setting technique. You'll find so many results. There, there's plenty of good videos on YouTube about it. Um, it's really easy, really simple. Um, the smart stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time defined. Very simple. Everything that you set, ask yourself. Does it fell into these five categories? And you have like really good material online uh, for free that you can check on that. I mean, I teach that in my programs as well, but honestly, um, for, for beginners, um, super, super great stuff online. Google it for free and follow it. If people wanted to find out more about your program or just about you, period, where can they go? Um, easiest way. Leverageoftrust.com. That's the easiest, easiest way. 
The thing is, as entrepreneurs, most of the time, what we are doing is we are creating trust with our audience. We are trying to maintain that trust and we are trying not to lose that trust. Trust is one of the biggest leverages that we as entrepreneurs can use in our business in multiple different ways, uh, money-wise, resources-wise, and, and so on. And it's one of the most important fundamentals in, in business. And so um, a few months ago, I was challenged by a few friends to tell them a little bit about how I do the whole thing with trust because they saw that I'm really good at it. And um, they liked it. They implemented it. They, they made some money with it. And I said, hmm, maybe others will benefit from this as well. And so we started the whole thing. We call it the leverage of trust. So the leverage of trust.com. And they can, they can start there, get to know me, see if, you know, they like it. They will have opportunities to chat with me directly through the leverage of trust. We do free brainstorming sessions and so on where they can jump on a call. Then we can take it from there. I love that you said trust that, like you said, that's what we all want. Well, I mean, everything in business is trust. When you buy something, you trust the brand, you trust the person, you, you trust the product. You, you are sure that that product, because of the testimonials you saw, will help you achieve the same results. I mean, everything is trust. The whole point of marketing is getting people on a journey from no to like to trust. And only when enough trust is built, we are ready to give somebody our credit card. Now, of course, if that's an app on the app store for $1, we don't need much trust. We'll just say, right. you know, F it. I'm going to buy it, whatever. Uh, but, you know, if, if maybe you are from a very poor third world country, You'll do a whole lot of research before you invest that $1 because, you know, that, that $1 has a different value for you than for us from the Western world, you know. But anything significant you buy, I mean, even when you go to the supermarket, why do you, you know, buy this milk and not that one? Yeah, it's like when I think about all of my electronics, it's always Sony because they never let me down. I trust Sony with my money. Every time I yeah. buy a product, I'm always satisfied. I don't care what the other guys are charging. I always go, I mean, I'll do some research, but I always search them first because yeah. I trust them. Yeah, yeah. Same. I, I have everything from Apple. I just trust them. I mean, you know, but you have your reasons. I have my reasons. Sony did a good job convincing you to trust them, to maintain your trust. And I, you know, they're doing their best not to lose that trust because, you know, once you lose it, it's almost impossible to gain it back. So, I mean, like, okay, so you are like, you need the product market fit, you need the cash flow management, and then probably most of the rest is is really all about some in some way connected with the trust. Very true. All right, Miha. Well, I think that's a good spot to end it. That is amazing. Is there anything else that uh, you wanted to add that maybe I didn't bring up? If if they can take just two things away from this interview, your listeners. Number one, foundations. Always start with the foundations. Foundations are super, super, super important. And the second one, failure, you, you can't avoid it. I mean, the only way for you to avoid it is to not do anything. I mean, and then you fail on life completely. 
But you know, if, if you identify as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, by the definition, you'll have to fail because you'll have to push yourself out of the comfort zone, whatever you do. Even if it's just a small business and you need to show up and go knock on some neighbor's doors and invite them you know, to try, I don't know, your homemade cupcakes, you'll still you know, have to push yourself a little bit out of the comfort zone. So healthy relationship with failure is essential, essential. I, I always like to compare the thing with failure with, you know, um, if you want to walk, you first need to crawl, learn how to crawl. So if you want success, you first need to learn how to properly fail so that it doesn't break you and get you down and you may end up on the balcony like I did. And it's not a, it's not a pretty thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you are happy now. Glad that you have happy now and the other three dogs. <laughs> and, uh, remember foundation and have a healthy relationship with failure. Uh, I love that. Thank you, James. Thank you. No, thank you. I, I, again, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show today and I uh, hope you guys are safe out there. Appreciate you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Uh, giving me the opportunity to talk to your audience and it was lovely chatting with you and I also I wish you and, and your listeners and your loved ones and everybody health and everything uh, to get through these troubled times this too shall pass I know it's hard to for some people to see it right now in the middle of it but the way I say that the last crisis was the best thing that ever happened to me in, in a few months or in a few years, we'll have plenty of people who will say that this crisis was the best thing that ever happened to them. So just keep going and thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks again, Mia. Take care. Miha, thank you again. And if you're listening, I hope you and Happy are very happy, no pun intended. I appreciate you sharing your powerful story and letting us know the incredible work you do to help others with their relationship with failure and the work you're doing for our four-legged friends. All right, for everybody that's listening, if you want to know more about Miha, his nonprofits, his work with animals, you can reach him at theleverageoftrust.com. To get more from this episode, you can visit blairradio.com slash EP30 for the show notes, links, and more. And no, I don't know if I have to say this, but I do love Sony, but I do own stock in Sony as well. But that had nothing to do with me saying that I trust them. I just wanted to put that out there. Anyway, thank you all for joining me for the 30th episode of Blair Radio. Stay tuned for future episodes every Monday. And if you want to be reminded of future episodes, you can go to BlairRadio.com slash join to sign up and join our newsletter. Until next time, do what you can to build trust with your audience and be heard. Thanks for listening to Blair Radio, where we turn your online whispers into screams. Learn more at theblairgroup.com. Until next time, be heard.